Exodus 3, 1 through 5 says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Hor, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Let's pray together. Jesus, I believe we're standing on holy ground. God, I believe you've put us in this moment right now. And you're calling out to us. You're calling us just like you called Moses' name in this passage. You're calling us by name. And Lord, I pray we would respond with, here I am. God, we want to hear from you this morning. We all want to leave here changed. I want to ask you this while your heads are still bowed. If you feel like you're in the middle of your journey, and you feel like life is just difficult right now, if you have some questions that need to be answered, if you feel stuck, if you just need prayer for something in your life, would you raise your hand right now across both campuses, here in Noonan, in LaGrange, online, you can even comment right now in this moment. As hands go up all over this room, I believe the Lord is going to teach us something incredible today. God, for these people who are saying, I need prayer, I need answers, I need direction, God, I pray you would give it to us today. Lord, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Whew, wow. Well, I want to say welcome to everyone. Um, LaGrange, I was just uh, standing right over here worshiping. And uh, how many of y'all in Noonan know the Holy Spirit's here with us today? Wow, I was standing over here worshiping, I was praying, I was like, God, let LaGrange be in the same spirit of worship right now. Let there just be this unity. And I was even praying it for those of you online, so welcome to everyone. Uh, we're in week two of our summer series called Two Tickets to Paradise. Now, how many of y'all are waiting for either like Trey or Micah or Yusef to sing Two Tickets to Paradise? Okay. So guys and Micah, if you're listening, we expect it to happen sometime soon. Um, but have you ever been to a place that you would describe as paradise? You know, what, what is the definition of paradise? We know that there's an eternal paradise that the Lord has for those who ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their life to forgive them of their sins, that he has a place prepared for us. But as we're looking at the series and the understanding of two tickets to paradise, we know that it, it means, you know, a place of peace, a place of happiness, a place of relaxation, a place where God is sending us, a place of promise is how we're going to be understanding this. A lot of us think of paradise as vacation, right? I'm actually going to put a few pictures up here on the screen. Now, I want, by a show of hands, raise your hand if this is a little piece of paradise for you. So here's the first one. How many love the lake? Like, I just want to go sit on the lake. I want to get on the ski boat. That's paradise for you. All right, what about the next one? The next picture is, should be the mountains. There we go. How many of y'all love the mountains? You're like, oh, I just want to feel the cool, crisp air. That's where I want to go. All right, what about the next one? How many are like, if I had this pool in my backyard, that would be paradise? Yeah, look at that thing. That's awesome. How about the last picture? How about, oh. 
Hey, listen, for all of you who are yelling and clapping, I'm going to hold you all accountable to do that throughout the whole message. All right? When we're reading the Word of God, and when we talk about stuff, I want y'all to be clapping like that. That's my paradise, too. I love the beach. And some of you may be watching online right now, and you are on vacation, and you're on a little piece of paradise for you. So if you are, comment, let us know where you're at. Uh, We would love to hear from you. But how many of you are like me, and that when you travel, you want to get there as quickly as you possibly can? All right? I'll be honest. Sometimes I struggle with patience. I'm that guy, I get in the car, I pull out my phone, I plug in the address for wherever we're going on vacation, and it pops up. It's like, six and a half hours is your arrival time. I'm like, oh yeah? I look over at Lauren, I'm like, watch this. We're going to make it in five and a half. You start driving, you peel out. I mean, is anybody relating to this right now? Everyone's just like, oh yeah. All right, you peel out, you're driving, and you're just ready to get there. I shared a story with you all a few weeks ago that um, we went down to Orlando to visit my grandmother. And this is a true story. We pull out of our neighborhood. I'm not lying. We are five minutes down the road. And McKenna, my daughter, goes, Daddy, are we there yet? We're going to Orlando. I'm like, nope, not there yet. I mean, what do you say that? I just almost couldn't help but laugh. Seriously. We make it to like the Sonoy area, which if you don't know where that is, that's about 20 minutes from our house. We make it from there, and I hear from the back seat, she says, this is the longest drive ever. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, just wait, all right? We don't even make it to the interstate yet, all right? We're going the back way, kind of through Griffin. We don't even make it to the interstate yet. And I hear her say in the back seat, it's almost in slow motion, sweetest voice ever, Daddy, I have to go potty. And I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, nope, sorry, stopping is not an option. Okay, Lauren and I, before we had kids, made it to Orlando without stopping before. Like, we're not stopping. I look over at Lauren, and I'm like, this is where the Lord's teaching me patience, all right? We pull over, we stop. She uses the restroom. I pull back up the GPS. We've lost 10 minutes. And I'm like, game on. All right, I'm making up this 10 minutes. I don't care. Let's go. Three stops later, and I'm now the one saying, God, are we there yet? (laughs) GPS, you win. You've defeated me. What was the six and a half hour trip? I think took eight hours. Uh, Yeah, I learned a lot. What we're going to be looking at today, though, is the story of Moses. And I believe his story could be called the longest journey ever. I'm sure he was asking the Lord, are we there yet? Let me tell you about Moses and his journey to the promised land, to the promise of God, to Israel's paradise, because it has a lot to teach us today. Let's look at, let's understand a little bit of a backstory of Moses. Israel's in slavery in Egypt, and it is just brutal. The Egyptians are brutal to them. But the Israelites are growing in number, and the Pharaoh at the time gets afraid of them because he says if they grow too much, it would be easy for them to overturn my rule. And so Pharaoh orders that all the baby boys that are born to the Israelites are to be killed. And so Moses' mother hides him for as long as she can. Until she can't hide him anymore, still as a baby, she puts him in a basket and lets him float down the river. Not the greatest idea, but it ended up turning out well, right? He floats down the river. It says Pharaoh's daughter actually finds him. This is how the Lord works. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, raises raises him as one of her own sons. Moses grows up. We'll jump ahead in the story. He sees an Egyptian 
beating an Israelite. He snaps, ends up killing that Egyptian. In his fear, he runs away into the wilderness. And he's gone. He thinks he's run away from his problems. He, he, he kind of now is an outcast. And one day while shepherding the sheep, he encounters the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. That's what we just read a minute ago. God speaks to Moses and calls him to go and rescue his people, the Israelites, from slavery and take them to the promised land, which we learn is a good and spacious land. Exodus chapter 3 describes it as a land flowing with milk and honey. Can you imagine as the Israelites, you have been in this brutal slavery and now you hear, hey, we're going to go to this wide, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This would be a description of paradise for them. I'm sure they'd be ready to go, let's go, let's make this happen. But Moses, after offering a couple excuses to the Lord, finally goes to Egypt. And if you have to read the story for yourself, because it is absolutely an incredible story. We see where the Lord has to send ten plagues on Pharaoh and the people of Egypt for them to finally say, okay, go. Leave. You can be free. So Moses begins to lead an estimated, listen to this, two million people to the promised land. Two million walking to the promised land. It's hard enough for me to get two kids organized enough and packed up enough to go on vacation. Can you imagine two million? Long story short, from where they were at to the promised land was an estimated 240 miles. Sounds like a lot. At an average of about six miles per day walking, which is probably what they could have achieved, it should have taken them around 40 days to go from Egypt to this promised land, this paradise that God was offering them. But it didn't take 40 days. It took 40 years. Big contrast there. And we will see that due to Israel's lack of faith and lack of belief in the power of God, that this is what took them so long to get to the promised land. And that's why I think it could be called the longest journey of all time. You see, maybe you're here today and God has given you a promise of paradise. Your promised land. And we know he's ultimately offering us that paradise in heaven with him for those that know him. But maybe you feel like you're wondering right now. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you even know what the goal is that God has given you, but you feel like it's taken so long to get there. Maybe you're starting to doubt. Maybe you're starting to wonder. You see, I mentioned the ten plagues that God used to, to get Israel out of Egypt. But today I want us to look at the self-inflicted plagues that the Israelites dealt with themselves. I believe we have a lot to learn today through the plagues of the process. That's what we're going to be learning. You see, the journey of life is a process, and as humans, there are some things that plague us, that keep us maybe questioning God, or wondering, or stuck in our journey. So let's go back in the story to when the Israelites are finally allowed to leave Egypt and see what we can learn. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first plague of the process is the plague of wrong perspective. This was the first thing that the Israelites really dealt with is the plague of wrong perspective. A right or wrong perspective determines our attitude in our journey. So ask yourself right now, do I have a right or wrong perspective of where the Lord has me? Let's look at Exodus 13, 17 through 18. When Pharaoh let the people go, 
God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Have you ever gone like on a trip with someone and they say, hey, let's take the scenic route. I don't want to take the scenic route. I want to get there as fast as I possibly can. Have you ever been driving and your GPS says rerouting and it takes you a direction that you know, like, that's not the right way? What do you mean get off the interstate or turn here? But what does the GPS typically know that you don't know? Man, there's some traffic coming up. There's some road work. There's an unforeseen delay. Do you feel like God's taking you in the scenic route of life? Like, God, where is this journey leading? What if God is protecting you from something? I imagine some of the Israelites wondered, why are we taking this route? There's a shorter way. But God knew the best way and was shaping their perspective to be focused on him. You see, your journey may not lead down a road that you expect. The shortest and easiest route is not always the best. God sees the beginning, middle, and end of our journey. So we have to trust him in these moments. And that's why God doesn't always choose what looks like in our eyes, in our mind, as the easiest journey, but he chooses the best. Are you willing to follow God in what looks like the inconvenient to allow him to do the impossible? You see, I think sometimes we disqualify ourselves when we see something as inconvenient and we decide not to do it when God is saying, trust me. You may see it as inconvenient, but I'm about to do the impossible in your life. Are you willing to let God reroute you today? Let's look at a couple verses later. Exodus 13, 21 through 22. It says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left this place in front of the people. All right, let's look at this. Let's break it down. By day, the Lord went ahead of them. Why was he going ahead of them? It's pretty obvious. Look at what it says. To guide them. That makes complete sense, right? But I think we have to be reminded, if we want the Lord to guide us through our journey of life, we have to let him be at the front of our life. That's easier said than done sometimes, right? Look at what verse 32 says. It says, the pillar never left its place in front of the people. I've heard people say, I just can't see God in my life right now. If you can't see God in your journey, then you may be going the wrong direction. Your eyes may be looking in the wrong way. Listen, you can't follow God if you are in the lead. Are you willing to step back and say, God, wherever you lead me, I will go. When you step in that wilderness, I'll step in that wilderness. When you step in that desert, I'll step in that desert. We can't follow God if we are in the lead. And listen, if you can't see God, that doesn't mean that he's missing or that he has left you. You just may need to correct your course. Put your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, God led the Israelites by a pillar of fire that was right in front of them. I think right in front of them is very key. Because sometimes as humans, we probably struggle with wanting to see the finish line all lit up, right? Okay, God, you're going to take me down this path, take me down this journey. But where does it end? God, go ahead and tell me. Light that up. I want to see that. You see, 
God didn't say to the Israelites, I'll be a pillar of fire waiting for you in the promised land. Come and find me. That's not what God did. God isn't waiting for us, hoping that we figure out life. God is walking with us. God is guiding us. God is directing us. Aren't you glad that God stays right in front of us like the Israelites? He's not only waiting for us at the end of the journey. He's present in today's journey. He's present in today's hurts. He's present in today's joy. You see, I believe that God is telling us something very important here. I don't just want you to experience the joy and the fulfillment of the process of the promise. I want you to experience joy in the fight of the process. Listen, you don't just have to have joy when something is completed. God wants you to feel that joy on the journey as well. The second plague of the process is the plague of the power struggle. Ask yourself right now, in your life, are you relying on the power of God or are you trusting your strength? It's a question we all need to ask ourselves, which is actually very humbling a lot of times. Think about it through your job, through your family, through your marriage, through your friendships. Are you relying on the power of God right now? Relying on the power of God is something that, that the Israelites and even Moses really struggled with. Over and over again, God showed the Israelites his power. He proved it over and over again, yet still they fell back on their own strength, or should I say, their lack of strength. Let me continue to explain the beginning of Exodus 14. So we talked about how the Israelites had been let go by Pharaoh. God tells the Israelites to camp by the sea. Now we see Pharaoh starts to pursue the Israelites with a massive army. He changes his mind. His heart is hardened. And God tells Moses, I'm going to take care of you. Let's pick up in verse 10 of chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Let me ask you a question. If the eyes of the Israelites have now turned and they're looking at the Egyptians, who are they not looking at? God. God said, I'm going to be right in front of you. I'm going to take care of you. But yet the Israelites allowed their eyes to shift to their problems instead of staying focused on the power of God. Let me ask you, what are you looking at right now? Are you looking at the problems in your life or are you looking at the power and the plan of God? I've told the Lord many times throughout my life, I know you didn't bring me this far to have your promises die here. God, I trust you. I know you're all powerful. I know you have a plan. And maybe this is what you need to remind yourself of today. And for sure, the Israelites should have reminded themselves of this. You see, in this moment, though, the Israelites, they were looking around and they were feeling trapped. They felt like they had nowhere to run. And even from conversations that I've had with people over the past few months, I know you may feel trapped, you may feel stuck, whether it's stuck in sin. Stuck in your past, stuck in a relationship, stuck in your finances, stuck in depression, stuck in fear. Whatever you feel stuck in, listen, God is ready to deliver us. Just like he was ready to deliver the Israelites. This is very important. Sometimes God positions us in the face of a problem to reveal the glory of his power. I want to make sure you heard that. Sometimes God positions us 
in the face of a problem to reveal the glory of his power. Look at Exodus 14.4. This is God speaking. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, speaking about the Israelites. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God was about to turn the Israelites' fear into faith if they would just trust his power and his plan. I know this is hard. This isn't easy. But God was giving the Israelites an opportunity to shift their perspective away from their problem and back onto him. I love these next verses. And verse 14 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Exodus 14, 13 through 14 says, Moses answered the people. This is when they look up. They see this massive Egyptian army. They're trapped. They have nowhere to go. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, well, you'll never see again. Listen to this verse. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Some of you need this deliverance today. You need these words of hope spoken into your life. For the Israelites, the Egyptians represented their past, represented death, represented pain. And right now, you may be echoing in your heart, what the end of verse 13 says, says the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. You may be in here today. You may be in the Grange. You may be watching online, and you're begging God. God, this sin I see today, this addiction I see today, this problem I see today, this past that's haunting me, God, I never want to see it again. God is ready to deliver you. God is powerful enough to do this. But the question we have to answer and we have to be willing to do is in our life is go, God, how? And look at how he does it. The Lord will fight for you. Be still. This understanding of the word still translates to peace and is understood as having confidence in the Lord. Being still is one of the hardest things to do, but it shows trust. Moses was saying, trust the Lord. Have faith. Be at peace. God will fight for you. Let me ask you. When someone tells you to be still, what's the hardest thing to do? Be still? It is so hard. Lauren and I had just gotten married, and we were renting a house here locally. And we were watching TV, and we were laying in bed. And you know, sometimes you're watching TV, like your eyes kind of play tricks on you. I thought I saw something move, and I kind of looked. I didn't really see anything at first. I was like, oh, okay, Mom, you know, I was just watching this. Then I look again. And there is a roach crawling across the top of our bed. Lauren hasn't seen it yet. So I look at her. I'm like, this is a chance for me to prove who I am. I look at her and I say, hey, whatever you do, don't move. That's the worst thing to say to anybody. Whatever you do, don't move. Be still. What, what was her first reaction? What? What? Why? Why? Isn't that what we always ask God? What? Why? Why am I being still? I hop up out of bed. I forget what I grab. I'm about to do my best Barry Bonds impersonation on this roach to prove myself. All right? The roach obviously sees me coming. You can see where this is going. I start swinging. I'm trying to hit this thing. I mean, I'm wanting to take this thing out. Lauren's definitely not being still at this point. I mean, it didn't work, you know. But have you ever been in that moment where the Lord says, hey, trust me, be still? How do we react in that moment? Do we say, God, I trust you. I'm going to be still. I'm going to let you fight for me. Or do we start asking, what? 
What, God, why, why? And you start running around trying to figure out the answer on your own. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to panic in the face of evil. We get to rely on the power of God. But then look at verse 15. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. I find this awesome because in a matter of two verses, we see be still and the next verse says move on. I think this is incredibly powerful today and it's going to teach us something amazing. Listen, we first must correct the position of our heart to understand the correct course of action for our steps. We first must correct the position of our heart to understand the correct course of action for our steps. That's what be still is. God was saying be still so that the hearts of Israel would turn back to him. That's when God then could say, move on. Do you need to correct the position of your heart today so that you can look at your journey and you can take that next step? Look, if you don't correct your heart and you're stepping in the wrong direction, you're just going to wander further away from the Lord. You're going to get more lost. Correct your heart and then move with your actions. You see, sometimes we can't put the cart before the horse. We're human. It's easy. We start running through our journey of life, but our heart is not in the right position and we find ourselves wandering. You see, this is where we do find the Israelites. This is something they struggle with. But so God tells them to move because he's about to perform a miracle for them. This is where we see God telling the movie, splits the Red Sea so the Israelites can walk through on dry ground. Once the Israelites make it through, it says the Egyptians pursue them. You think they go, eh, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. Nah. No, they go through. They pursue them. It says God collapses the Red Sea on top of them, defeats the Egyptian army. This is obviously something the Israelites could never accomplish in their own power. Listen, our pursuit of God's promise, the the promised land, the paradise he's given us is only achieved by relying on the power of God. And just like the Israelites, maybe maybe you're standing on the, the shore of the Red Sea. You're standing on the shore of your obstacle and you have a decision to make. Do we complain about it? Do we question God? Or do we believe in God's power? Do we trust that he brought us in this direction for a reason? And do we believe God for a miracle. I'm afraid that maybe some of us are standing on the shoreline frozen in fear. We're looking back at our, the problem instead of trusting in the power of God. We're frozen right there. Today, trust in the Lord's power. Quit trying to do things on your own. So you maybe think that after all this, the Israelites are in the promised land, right? Man, they just walked through the Red Sea. Are they in the promised land? Nope. They still have a journey to go. We see where they didn't listen to the Lord. And because they didn't believe in the power of God, they, they come back, they send some people to observe in the, in the promised land, and they say, 10 of them, they send 12 spies, 10 of them say, we're not going to be able to do this. The people that live there are too powerful. Two say, no, we can. But they listen to the 10 bad spies, and they don't follow the plan God had. They didn't trust in his power. And God said, because of that, you'll now be wandering in the wilderness. You see, this shows me one more important thing that we can learn today. As the Israelites got tired in their journey, as they began to think about all the what-ifs, what could happen if we go do this, what could, what could happen if we go this direction, 
They lost track of their priorities. The third and last plague of the process that we're going to be learning about today is the plague of wrong priorities. Every day our priorities are going to be challenged. Every single day. Especially when you've been in the same situation like the Israelites for such a long time. Maybe you are in here today, or you're in LaGrange, or watching online, you feel like you've been in the same situation for a long time. And the mundane starts to wear away at your priorities. And we see it start to wear away with the Israelites. Whether it is in counseling, training, or in psychology, a lot of times you're taught the acronym HALT. H-A-L-T. I think we can use this acronym before making decisions, especially when our priorities are being challenged, and the Israelites would have been smart to use this. So if you're taking notes, write this down. We can use HALT in the pursuit of our promise, in pursuit of our paradise. So when your priorities and decisions are being challenged, you should HALT with H when you're hungry. How many of y'all get hangry when you're hungry? I know I do. I can actually become quite a jerk when I get hungry. So if I'm hungry, it's kind of like that Snickers commercial. They're like, you're not being yourself. Here, eat a Snickers. If you see me being a jerk, just hand me some food, okay? Be like, here you go. Here's, here's a hot dog. Here's something. I'll take anything, okay? We find the Israelites in Exodus 16 complaining about being hungry. Did they really think that God wasn't going to take care of them? Look at all that he's done for them. And yet they're complaining about being hungry. Look at the Israelites say something to this extent. They said, if only we would have died in Egypt, at least we would have had full stomachs. How messed up is that? And yet that's what they say to Moses and to God. If we would have died in Egypt, at least we would have had full stomachs. The Israelites had gotten their priorities completely mixed up. They were more focused on feeding their bodies than feeding their spirit. Listen, we can't feed our flesh because it'll starve the spirit. I believe maybe we've allowed some things in our life to become priorities that we need to quit feeding. Let's hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the presence of God, for who he is in our lives. The A of halt. You should halt when A, you're angry. You can pretty much just open up the Bible, pick anything between Exodus and Numbers, close your eyes and point a chapter. You're going to find the Israelites angry. They're upset at God. They're complaining. They're grumbling about something. We must be able to recognize the emotion of anger in our life and if it is negatively impacting our priorities. The next one, L, we should halt when we're lonely. A crazy story through this journey is found in Exodus 32. Moses goes up on the mountain. He meets with the Lord. He's there longer than I guess the Israelites wanted him to be. So they begin to question everything. They say, where he's at? Where is he at? And so what do they do? They bring together all their gold. They make an idol in the shape of a calf. And they start worshiping it. Yeah, this is for real. This sounds crazy, doesn't it? But when we are lonely, we tend to do some pretty crazy things. Listen, we have to remind ourselves in this journey, no matter how long it takes, no matter what our wilderness looks like, that in life, we are never alone. Jesus is always with us. And the last one is this. You should halt when T, you're tired. Do you think the Israelites would have been tired after 40 years of wandering around? Maybe you're tired in your journey today. 
Maybe it's time that you say, God, I'm not going to do this on my own anymore. I'm putting halt on my own life. And God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to believe in you. I want my eyes to be set on you. I want to believe in your power. I'm going to follow your plan and know that you're true to your promises. Do you know how to keep your priorities straight as you are going through this journey towards your promised land? I believe it's this. Praising God should be our top priority. Listen, when you're hungry for the next season of life, praise him for where you're at. When you're angry about your situation, praise him that he is with you in your situation. When you feel lonely, praise him that he never leaves you or forsakes you. When you feel tired on your journey, praise him that he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the God we serve. Maybe you need to use this in your life. Let's commit right now that wherever we're at in our, our pursuit of paradise, that we will fill that season with praise. So where does this leave us in the story of Moses? You see, I think Moses probably would have vacationed at the mountains. So whoever raised your hand earlier, the mountains was your favorite vacation spot. I think you probably would have met Moses there. This is where we see that Moses encounters the Lord. On the mountain is where I believe Moses came to a very powerful realization. It's this. Paradise is not only a promised destination. Paradise is found in the presence of God. This should ring so loud in our hearts today. You see, the reason heaven is heaven is because God is there. The reason is the, the Garden of Eden was like a paradise is because God was there. But because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, God is here with us today. His presence is with us. And so, yes, paradise can be a destination, but paradise can also be found in the promise because we have the presence of God. This is what Moses realized. This is really evident in the way Moses' story ends. If you've never read his story, then it probably is going to end a little bit different than you expect. We see where Moses disobeyed God. And because of this, he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. After 40 years, the Israelites make it to the promised land. And Moses climbs up the mountain so he can get a better glimpse. And there he meets with the Lord. This is so powerful to me. I can imagine... Moses sitting down on the top of that mountain. And the Lord comes and sits beside him. And I can imagine in that moment the tears flowing down Moses' face. Not tears of sorrow, but tears of joy. As he looks out and says, God, you have given me the best perspective. God, I didn't die in the journey because I trusted in your presence in the process. God, I believe in your power. God, I believe you know what's best. And I believe Moses' heart would have echoed the psalmist right here in this moment when the psalmist says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I believe Moses would have looked into the eyes of God and said, better is one day in your presence than a thousand in that promised land. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand at the beach, than a thousand at the lake, than a thousand at the mountains. Whatever your promised land is, realize that your promised land, your paradise is found in the presence of God. As Moses was about to take his last breath, this is what he realized. God, you are my paradise. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what enemies come against me, God, you are my hope. You're my shelter. You're my paradise. 
I started today's message by reading scripture about Moses by himself in the wilderness. And now we've talked about Moses wandering in the wilderness with the people of Israel. Here's what I learned from Moses' two times in the wilderness. God sees you in your wilderness, and God sustains you in your wilderness. Maybe you need to hear that today. No matter where you're at in your journey, God sees you, and God sustains you. You see, the first time in the wilderness, Moses was shepherding sheep. The second time, he was shepherding people. So I want to ask you today, as a follower of Christ, the Christians in here in this room, in LaGrange online, as you are going through this journey of life, who are you leading into the presence of God? Who are you leading into the promised land, into paradise, to Jesus? It's an important question for us to ask ourselves. I also know some of you in here today, you may not know Jesus. You're hearing this story about all the crazy miracles God can do, and God wants to do the greatest miracle of all, which is change your heart and your eternity today. This is what Jesus wants to do in your life. Listen, the fulfillment of the promise of paradise is found in the person of Jesus. If you want this eternity with God, if you want this salvation, if you want to experience a God who can move mountains like we sang earlier, who can split the Red Sea, who can change your circumstances, who can help you in your journey, then ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Trust him. Change your perspective. Trust in his power to forgive your sins. Listen, John 14, 1 through 6 says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking right here. Don't miss this. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I, would I have not told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? This is paradise of heaven. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. One of his disciples, Thomas, said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. If you're sitting here in this room right now and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, if you realize I have this sin in my life, I'm a lot like the Israelites, we all are, none of us are perfect, and I need God in my life, Jesus is ready to forgive your sins. He came to this earth, God's one and only son, and died on a cross taking your punishment for the sin, the mess ups, the mistakes that we all have. Let today be your day where you say, I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Just what Jesus said right there, there's only one way. There was only one way for the Israelites to get to the promised land, and that was through God. There's only one way for us to have forgiveness of sin and to enter heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ.